0: So I mentioned a little bit earlier that I'm extremely excited about tonight and the series that we're diving into. And as you look to the screen, you can see that we're calling this series, Hello, My Shame Is. As you can see, it's not a series on greetings, it's one on shame. And so what we're going to be doing just throughout this series is, is talking about something that really any of us want to talk about. And so we're going to be diving into this, and today we're just going to start that process. We're gonna start that process of, of talking about shame. So I figured the best way to do that would be to tell you guys about one of the most shameful experiences I've ever had in my life, right? That's, that's a good way to get us started. I'll, I'll, I'll just go first. So I was 16, and just like many of us, when you turn 16, one thing I'm extremely, I was extremely excited about was getting my driver's license. And so about a month after I turned 16, me and my twin brother, I have a twin, we decided to go to the DNV and to get our driver's license. And I can say pretty confidently, when I got my driver's license, I was overprepared for this test. So I'd gotten all the required hours that the state of Georgia requires that you get when you have a permit. I had done that safety class that you can do during the summer so that my dad could have cheaper insurance on me. And I even did a road trip to DC, and I was part of the drivers to do that. Now, true story, actually, because of my driving, we almost got killed, but I learned from that, I grew, I developed, and so I was ready for this task when I walked into it. I mean, I was ready for it. And so me and my brother, we show up, and, and because I'm the oldest one, I was born a minute before him, uh, they let me go first. True story, that's really what I did. So I went first, and as a 16-year-old, right, you gotta remember, I'm 16, you can imagine that this was by far the most important thing i would ever done in my life, by far. And so I was a little bit nervous about this, as you can imagine. And so when I go and I see the instructor, he's going to be giving me this test. He did not help my nerves because clearly this guy absolutely hated his job and probably hated his life the way that he was acting. I mean, he was just completely unemotional, right, monotone. and seemed like the last place in the world he wanted to be was sitting next to me as I took this test. And so I walked into this test. I'm a little bit nervous. We start at the parking lot portion where you do like the, parallel parking, and you back up into a spot, and I was doing good. I was a little bit nervous, a couple of bumps, but I was doing good. I passed that part, and it was time for us to go on the road, and so I pull up to this three-way stop. There's a stop here, stop here, and a stop there, and we're about to turn left and go to eventually hit the main road, and as I'm sitting there at this three-way stop in this course, something absolutely horrible happens. Because as I'm sitting there, I can't remember which lane I turn into when I make a left turn, and so I mean my mind just goes blank for for the life of me I don't know which one I'm doing. Now when you're out on the road, you have a nice little cheat with you because there's a big white line that tells you which one not to turn into. Well, this course didn't have that. And so I'm sitting there and obviously I can't just stall, right? This guy's waiting for me to turn. And so I do something and I'm notoriously known for making bad decisions when I have to think quickly on the spot. And that's exactly what I did. Because I go to make this turn and I turn into the wrong lane. And when I do this, I hear the three words that nobody ever wants to hear when they're taking a driver's test. Stop the car. And in the most unemotional and monotone voice I've ever heard in my life, this guy tells me that when you turn into the wrong lane, that's an automatic failure. And he opens the door, steps out of the car, and walks to the DMV. (laughs) And, And so there I was, sitting alone in my car, with the front, with the passenger door wide open, trying to put together what I just did. I mean, it was absolutely the most devastating moment that I've had at that point in my life. I mean, I'm literally sitting there and I cannot believe how stupid I am. I cannot believe why I made such a dumb mistake. Right? I'm sitting there and everybody saw this door open, this guy walk away, and they all know what just happened. What makes this story even more shameful is that you remember my brother still hasn't taken his test yet. And so he lucked out because that instructor that I had, I was the last life that he ruined that day because he was off his shift, which I guess is why he was so quick to go into the DMV. And so my brother gets this nice old lady who comes up and so like a grandson hanging out with his grandmother, going on a joy ride, they like take this test together. They come back and she's like, oh honey, that was so good. You get a 97, there you go. Enjoy the rest of your life. And so he dominates this task. And so I, as I was literally sitting in the grass in the D&D area, banging on the ground, I promise you, that's what I did. I banged on the ground, completely humiliated as everybody stared at me. What made a bad situation even worse was the fact that somebody with the same type of driving experience as I had passed a test that I couldn't. And my brother went to the same... Safety course that I went to, right? He got all the required hours the way that I got mine. And he even went on that DC road trip with us. But he was the one that left the DMV that day with his his driver's license as I was stuck humiliatingly driving home with my parents. And so what makes this story so good to talk about tonight, this horrible, shameful story that, that I share with you guys, is because it does such a good job of helping us understand a good definition of shame that we're gonna be working with in this series. Because see how what I went through connects with this definition, right? Here's the definition we're gonna put on the screen. This definition of shame is that shame is focusing on the gap between who you are and who you should be. That's what shame is. It's when we focus on this gap between who we are and who we should be. Because that was me at the DMV, right? Because I should have left that DMV with my job license, right? That's who I should have been. But instead, who I actually was, was somebody who walked away who just miserably failed the test. And my brother, getting the score that he did, right? And passing this test just highlighted this gap in my life. It just highlighted it. It put the focus on who I should be and who I wasn't, right? So that's why this experience was so shameful because it focused on this gap between who I was and who I should have been. And so any time any of us have gone through a shameful experience in your life, this is what we experience. We find ourselves focusing on this gap in our lives between who we should be and who we actually are. And what's crazy is that even when you look at the Bible, we see David experiencing the same thing. And so in Psalm 69, if you have your Bibles, you know about the Psalm 69, that's where we're gonna hanging out tonight. Because what we're going to see is that David's going to talk about his shame. And when he does that, he's going to be talking about some of the emotions and some of the effects that happened in his life because of his shame. So if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to have the verses on the screen for you. But that's where we're going to be hanging out is in Psalm 69, beginning with verse 19. So let's read this together. So Psalm 69, 19 says, David, he's, he's talking to God he's writing this psalm. And as he's doing it, he's praying to God. And he says, you know, the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart and I'm in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none for comforters, but found no one. I mean, when David is telling us what's going on, he's being real and raw with us, isn't he? And he's talked about what this shame has done, right? He talks about this idea that he is heartbroken because of what other people are saying about him. He talks about how he wants sympathy. He wants people to relate to him in the midst of this, but there's no one, right? When he wants it, he can't get it. And he even talks about this idea that in the midst of this situation, that he has nobody to comfort him. He's all alone in what he's going through. And see, what David describes here is the reason why shame is so hard, isn't it? See, the reason shame is so hard is because what we have done that we believe is so shameful, it impacts the way people look at us, right? It impacts the way that people treat us. Because of what we've done, people treat us differently, right? Because of what we've done, our parents don't trust us anymore. Or those friends don't wanna be associated with us anymore. Or maybe that person that we were dating decides they don't wanna date us anymore. So that's why shame is so hard. Shame is so hard because people treat us differently because of it. And so because we know this happens, what we do is we do what we can to keep this from happening when we do something that we think is shameful. Because that's exactly what I did that night after I found my driver's test. So we'd play in this big hangout with our friends, right? Because the purpose was that we were gonna have our driver's license and we were gonna go over there and hang out and and me and my brother were the first to take the test out of our group of friends. And so we head over there that night. Obviously, I'm not driving. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And as I'm sitting there, I'm wondering and fearing what's gonna happen when I get there. What what are my friends gonna think because of what I've done? Am I gonna be the punchline of every joke that night? Are they going to look at me as, as a failure because I couldn't get this test and my brother did pass it? Or is this going to be the only thing that we talk about the entire night, right? I mean, these thoughts are just going through my head. So we get there, and one of my friends, who's the house we're at, naturally, because he wants to know what happened, says, hey, like, what's the deal? Like, like what went on today? And I was so quick to shrug the question off by talking about some excuse for why I did it or softening it up as if it was a mistake or making some kind of joke about myself, right? And the reason I did that is because I wanted to hide it, right? I didn't want him to really know all the details of that story. I didn't want him to really know the way that I felt that when I got home, I screamed in my pillow at the top of my lungs, right? I didn't want him to know all that. And so my silence was my way of hiding it. And so what we do, that's the strategy that we often do when we find ourselves in these situations is we try to hide. We try to hide our shame. We don't talk about it. Or we act like it's not a big deal. Or we just pretend like it's not there. What's crazy is that the strategy that I used is the same strategy that we see Adam and Eve using the first time that shame was ever felt in this world. Because in that story, when Adam and Eve choose to eat the fruit... And they realize what they've done. It tells us that they were naked, right? They had to clothe themselves. And the reason it says that is because as soon as they eat this fruit, the shame just consumes their life. Because in Genesis chapter two, it talks about how they were naked and unashamed. And now the fact that they recognize that they're naked is implying this idea that now they know what shame feels like. And so what do they do? They hide from each other by clothing themselves. And they hide from God by running among the trees in the garden. That's their strategy. That's what they try to do. They try to hide their shame, and we do the same thing in our lives. We choose not to talk about it, right? We choose to pretend like it's not there, right? We we try to hide our shame when it comes because we don't want people to see the gap between who we are and who we should be. But here's the problem: when we try to hide our shame, we think that is the solution. But it's actually not. Because hiding our shame does nothing to erase our shame. Right? Hiding what we've done does absolutely nothing to erase what we've done. Right? Adam and Eve trying to hide from God did nothing to erase the fact that they ate the apple or ate the fruit. Right? Me trying to hide all that happened with my friends did nothing to erase the fact that I still failed my driver's test. And so trying to hide our shame is actually an illusion. It makes us think that it's going to cause things to go away. But in reality, it doesn't. Because again, it does nothing to erase the gap between who we are and who we should be. And so what it does instead of fixing the problem is it actually creates a whole different one. Because when we don't fix the problem by hiding our shame, it actually leads to us having this haunting question that we find ourselves wrestling with in our lives. And it's the question, what if they knew? Right, what if they knew? What if they knew what my reputation was like back home? Or what if they knew that one thing about me that nobody else knows? Or what if they knew all those things that I actually want to do? What if they knew? And so we don't want other people to see our imperfections. We don't want people to see what's going on in our lives because we don't want them to treat us differently. And so we ask that question because we fear what will happen if people realize the gap in our life is as big as we realize it is. And we fear that we'll end up like David that we saw in the psalm. We'll find ourselves heartbroken because of what other people are saying about us. That nobody will sympathize with us because they just can't figure out why in the world we would ever do that thing that we did. We're afraid that we'll be all alone. We're in this scarlet letter because of what we've done, showing everybody who sees us that we aren't who we should be. So that's our problem. That's the problem that we're wrestling with. And so the natural question becomes, what do we do? What do we do about that? If we can't erase the shame in our life by hiding it, if we can't undo what's already been done, then what do we do? And guys, that's why I am so excited about this series because that's what we're gonna talk about. For the next four weeks after this week, that's what we're gonna discuss is what do we do with the things that we've been done, when we can't erase it and hiding it doesn't solve the problem, what do we do? And so tonight, we're just gonna start this conversation. We're just gonna take the first step in answering this question. And as David and this psalm helped us to see what the problem was, we're gonna continue to look at the psalm a little bit further on and he's gonna help us figure out what the solution is as well. And so jump down with me a little bit farther in this psalm we're gonna begin reading together in verse 29. So remember, this is the same situation. The situation that David is in has not changed. This is the same Psalm. He's still talking to God. He's still praying. So everything that's happening in his life is the same. But notice how different his attitude is when you jump down to verse 29. Because this is what it says. But as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. I will praise God's name with song. I will exalt him with thanksgiving that will please the Lord more than an ox, more than bull with horns and hose. What he's saying is more than a sacrifice. Me worshiping God is gonna please God more than it would be if I gave him a sacrifice. And then he continues on in verse 32. So he continues on in verse 32. It says, the humble will see and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart, for the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. And so this, I mean, we can't look past the significance of what's happening here because although David is in the same situation that he was in earlier, he has a completely different attitude because he's not trying to hide from God the way that Adam and Eve hid from God. Instead, even in the midst of his shame, he is choosing to worship God. In the midst of his shame, he is choosing to sing to God, to thank God, and to even encourage people who seek after God to take heart, because God is the one who listens to the needy. And when his own are prisoners, he doesn't despise them. And So although David is in the same position, we see that he is acting a lot differently. And it's because although he's in the same position, he has a different perspective although he's in the same position that he was just a few verses earlier, he now has a different perspective. And what he's doing here is he's not focusing on himself. He's not focusing on the way that people treated him because of what he's done. Instead, he is choosing to focus on God. He isn't focusing on how big the gap is in his life. Instead, he's focusing on how big his God is. And because of that, he can choose to worship God because he knows that God has saved him. He knows that God can protect him and he knows he can sing to him even in the midst of whatever's going on in his life. What I love about this part of the Psalm is when it talks about this idea that this pleases God. Right, this isn't, perfect David coming to God. This isn't David who just slayed a Goliath and saved the Israelites, right? This is David who has done something wrong. Verse five tells us that he has done something wrong and he's recognized that. But when he comes to God, it pleases God that he would sing to him and that he would worship him and that he would thank him. So this isn't perfect David that is coming to God. And said this is shame filled David showing up. And when he worships God, God delights in that. And so what we see happening here is what we need to remember as we take this first step to overcoming this shame in our lives is the idea that we need to have the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective in our lives. Like David, we need to see God by understanding what he's done for us. Right? We need to see God the way that God sees us. Because what we see when we look at the cross, and what we see when we look at God, is that God does not deal with us according to our shame. Instead, when we belong to God, God deals with us according to what Jesus has done. God doesn't deal with us according to the cross. Instead, he deals with us according to the, excuse me, he doesn't deal with us according to his shame, he deals with us according to the cross. Because what the cross shows us is that in the midst of our shame, God doesn't run away from us the way that some people do. God runs towards us. Because Paul tells us in the book of Romans that God demonstrated, right? He showed his love towards us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, what that means is that God, knowing your shame, knowing all the things that you've done that maybe nobody else knows, God, understanding who you are and all the sins that you would do, recognized that and still chose to go to the cross and die in your sins in your place. And we understand that perspective, we do not realize how life shattering that can be, do we? Understanding this reality that God does not deal with us according to our shame, but He deals with us according to the cross. And so, because of that, we don't have to hide in our shame anymore. Because of that, we don't have to focus on the gap in our lives. Because of that, we don't have to focus on how other people are gonna treat us. Instead, we can choose to focus on the cross and we can choose to focus on our God. Because our God loves us, even in our shame. Our God pursues us, even in our shame. Our God forgives us in the midst of our shame. Our God wants to have a relationship with us, even in our shame. And we can worship God, even in our shame. And so the goal for us isn't to try to reach perfection, right? Or to try to hide our imperfections, right? That's what we often think. In order to get rid of shame in my life, I just gotta do better. I just gotta get this behind me, right? Or try to do enough good things that this doesn't become a big deal anymore. But perfection isn't our aim. Instead, perspective is. And so that's what we have to remember as we dive into this series is that shame is overcome by perspective, not perfection we're never gonna reach that level of perfection, right? So which means we'll always be dealing with shame in our life if that becomes the aim and that's what we try to do. But instead, what we see is perspective is what we shoot for. Perspective is what we need to have. And perspective says, I don't focus on what's going on in my life. I don't focus on the gap. I don't focus on how other people are gonna treat me because of this. But instead, I'm gonna focus on what my God has done for me. And I'm gonna focus on how great he is. And that he demonstrated his love for me. And while I was still a sinner, he died on the cross in my place and then rose from the dead so I could experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness in my life. And so that's what we remember as we take this first step is that shame in our life isn't overcome by being perfect, is overcome by having the right perspective. And that perspective is seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. So here's my challenge for you as we wrap up. Here's my challenge for you as we jump into the series. My challenge is take the first step, right? Take the first step to change your perspective. Take the focus off yourself and put it on what God has done for you through Jesus. And so by doing that, what we do is we don't focus on the gap. As we talked about, right? we don't focus on how other people are gonna treat us if they find out what we've done. Instead, we focus on what God has done and who he is. And as we walk through this series and we talk about this perspective more, we'll dive into why this is so life shattering why it is so much important to focus on this than these other things in our life. But that's my challenge to you. Take that first step and start to change your perspective when it comes to your shame. And if you're a non-Christian with us tonight, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for spending time in this room with us today. And maybe you're still trying to figure out this old Jesus thing. You're trying to figure out if you think it's legit, if you think it's real, if you want to jump on board, and I get that. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to come hang out with us. To be back here in two weeks as we dive deeper into this series. And to figure out why in the world we would spend so much time talking about something that nobody in the room and nobody in the world wants to talk about. Come see why we're spending so much time devoted to this subject and why we feel like the right perspective can change everything about it. And so come hang out with us. Let's spend some time with us as we walk through this series. But as we take the first step, let's remember that shame is overcome, not by perfection, but instead shame is overcome by having the right perspective. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can take this first step in this amazing journey that we can walk through. This amazing journey that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that we can have the right perspective because of who we are. And so my prayer, God, and my hope, God, is that this would begin a journey in our lives for us to overcome so many things in our life, God, that that we've done that we're not proud of, things in our life that we don't wanna talk about, Lord, and things in our life that in so many ways can hinder us in our relationship with you. Thank you, God, that you're not somebody who deals with us according to our shame, but you're somebody who deals with us according to the cross. And so I pray tonight, God, that we would take this first step, this first step to change our perspective, not looking at ourselves, not looking at the gap, but instead looking at you and realizing that you are a God that even in the midst of our shame still chose to die for us. And Lord, I pray that that reality would be life-shattering for us. That through our lives, we'll look more like you. And so may we worship together, God, as we sing to you, Maybe we realize the goodness of who you are. And in Jesus' name, I pray.